Hello everybody and welcome to an impromptu Palace of Glittering Delights where we're going to have a round table discussion about the Mandalorian. But I've had to invite three American people onto the show because technically I've not seen this show because it hasn't actually been released yet. So all of my knowledge will come from Twitter and, and therefore it will be 100% accurate and in no way complete <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> I am Andrew Leyland, as ever, and I am joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning that they've all brought their own secret weapon to the table. First off, Paul Spataro, who is the voice of IG-11. <laughs> am I? Oh, cool. Well, you are now. I've promoted you. <laughs> Dave Pascarella, who is Ranzar Malik. Thank you. Thank you very you're much. A, you're an aging mercenary and leader of a motley crew. Sort of like at work, yes. Sort of, it's, it's sort exactly of like right. real life. <laughs> and Dr. Bill Robinson is Fennec Shand, a character we were very much looking forward to, who was killed off in one episode. Wait, what? I can't be Werner Herzog? So Do you want to be speak, Werner Herzog? So I could just speak quietly and intimidating the whole podcast. All right, well, you can be Werner Herzog then, if okay. that's what you want. I'm, All right. I'm the client. Yes, you are. You are the client. <laughs> And can I be Moff Gideon? No, we'll just make you the child so you don't say anything but go, <laughs> Baby, I'll baby do, Andy. I can baby do that thing with my hand. Yeah, everyone's buying plush dolls of me, aren't they? That's awesome. I'm going to rake it in. Oh, yeah. Give me some of that sweetheart Disney cash. Uh, this is in, yeah, this is an impromptu discussion on The Mandalorian. We were just together to do um, the other show, Listen to the Prophets, and Bill said, let's talk about The Mandalorian. So here we are. The Mandalorian is the first spin-off television show from Star Wars uh, and launched Disney Plus in America, not in the rest of the world, because apparently we're not important. Uh, all eight episodes have now aired. Not that I've seen them. No, <laughs> no sirree, Bob. I have not seen them. And anything that I say in this podcast that contradicts that is a lie. I have not seen them. You're living no. vicariously through us. I am. I am getting all my knowledge from Reddit. Uh, it was eight episodes. All of them had a, um, a single different episode title. None of them were particularly interesting in terms of episode titles. The show was the brainchild of John Favreau who was, of course, the man who launched the cinematic universe for Marvel with Iron Man and then keeps cropping up as Happy Hogan and he's now making Whoopi with Aunt May, which under normal circumstances would not be pleasant, but Aunt May is now a bit of a hottie. So I thought he was Foggy Nelson. He was originally Foggy Nelson. Oh. In, yeah, and so he's, he's he obviously, something happened. He had to go into witness protection program where he ended up working for Stark International and he had to change his name. And Foggy Nelson was taken, so they gave him Happy Hogan. And he was like, Happy, really? This is my name? And they said, it could be worse, you could be Pepper Potts. <laughs> <laughs> and really, is working for a multi-billionaire really a good idea for a guy in witness protection? Don't pick holes in my story! Nobody overshadows Tony Stark. They won't That's even notice him. Yeah, he could be stood right at the side of him, and everyone will be giving Tony Stark a cheeseburger. <laughs> the, the show takes place after Return of the Jedi, 
but well before The Force Awakens. So it is the first in-canon look we have been given at the universe following the fall of the Empire and the rise of the New Republic. Where the show really scores for me is it's it's got a very tiny focus. The Mm. Mandalorian, uh, which we learn as the show carries on, or so I've learned off Reddit, is uh, a code, not a race. So Boba Fett could technically be a Mandalorian, even though, you know, he was a little Australian dude. And that's basically my introduction. So what did you guys think of The Mandalorian? I was less excited about this show than I think most of the people I heard from, because I just was a little skeptical as to how they were going to do an ongoing narrative on on Star Wars. And, you know, was I going to be, uh, you know, captured by these characters and brought in? I, you know, I, I just, you know, I went into it open-minded, but not set that I was going to like it. Because I just remember people saying, oh, did you see the trailer? I'm going to love this show. And I was pretty much pulled in by the end of the first episode. And I have to admit, it was the breakout character that pulled me in. The first Mm. episode, I was watching it along, and I'm thinking, all right, this is okay. It's okay. It's okay. Then all of a sudden, Baby Yoda appeared. (laughs) And it was like, oh, my God, look at that. And I got to see the next episode now. And then little by little, I was totally wrapped up in this in the series to the point where i was looking forward to the releases every week uh i I think it was a brilliant not only narrative uh choice but a marketing choice to to create this character of baby yoda yeah it's he has been the or she we don't know yet has been the standout breakout character of the show because he is really adorable in um in a quite an understated way, like in in constantly playing with Mando's gear stick, to the mm. point where Mando takes the top of the gear stick off to give it to him to play with is just adorably fun. And everywhere that every time he does something, he's just a great character. And his little waddle when he walks. <laughs> but I think I I honestly think the show was stolen by the title character because it it must be quite hard to wrap a narrative around a character whose face you never see who didn't really have much in the way of a personality as the first couple of episodes went along. And as we learned from the director of episode four, Bryce Dallas Howard, the daughter of Ron Howard, she never actually worked with Pedro Pascal, who is the titular Mandalorian. So we don't know how much of the show was him and wasn't him. The Mandalorian in her episode was played by John Wayne's grandson, or great-grandson, one of the two, because... Pascal was off filming, um, filming, doing a Broadway play. So the yeah. fact that they've wrapped this entire show up around somebody who you never see and you don't learn anything about and you cannot see his facial expressions is remarkable because whoever it was in the suit, the head tilts were masterfully done. You always knew what this guy was thinking just based on where he positioned his head. That, that, that was, boy, that triggered a lot of conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I, I thought I thought it was a somewhat bold move to have a character that you were going to not see his face through the, through just about the entire series. Uh, well, because that's the whole thing. He can't he, he, his face can't be seen by any other living uh, being. Yes. Yeah, which pays off in the last episode. We're and spoilers. We're gonna we're gonna talk about every aspect of the show. So if you haven't seen it, like I haven't you may want to to leave this episode until it's heard everywhere in the world. But the the final episode, are you still here? 
All right, it's on you now. In the final episode, he is mortally wounded. And I genuinely, this is how much I'd bought into the show. I genuinely thought they were going to kill Padro Pascal off. I was wondering that too. Yeah. Yeah. I thought maybe Gina Caron would put the armor on and she would become the Mandalorian. Or the next episode or the next series would focus on the team of Mandalorians that we'd already seen as the, the show went on, who would take it upon themselves as like a, a blood oath kind of thing to look after the child because the Mandalorian had died doing that. And I, th- I think that shows how unpredictable the show had become that I genuinely thought they were going to kill him off. And I still think it was a bit of a mistake to show his face, even though they do play fast and loose with that rule that it's it, you can't have his face seen by another living being. Mm-hmm. And it's it's IG-11, voiced by Taika Waititi, who sees his face and therefore technically isn't a living being. And I think we shouldn't have seen his face. I liked it that we didn't. But, you know, it, it didn't it didn't make or break the show for me in any way. What what roped me in before we saw Baby Yoda was IG-11. Yes. Because yeah. as a kid going to see The Empire Strikes Back, I was fascinated with that scene of the bounty hunters on the bridge of the Star Destroyer. And IG-88, for some reason, I guess the robotic of it, fascinated me and i couldn't wait to get the star wars figure but to see him actually in yeah, live action. action jumping and running and sh- fantastic roped me in a hundred percent it's like he's got eyes in the back of his head oh wait mm, literally <laughs> yeah he was really cool and his story arc throughout the entire series he shows up in episode one um and you think that's going to be the end of it but the Ugnaught character, who has been another breakout character of the show, played by um, Nick, Nick Nolte, uh, he ends up rebuilding it, and he ends up taking responsibility for looking after the baby. Which is, I mean, should we call him a baby, given that he's supposed to be about, what, 45, 50 years of age? I've I seen think people 50. Say. He's 50. Yeah, he, he's 50, no... but I think the term baby <laughs> is based upon his level of physical and emotional maturity. Well, yeah, yeah, because because if he's the same species as Yoda, Yoda was like eight, nine hundred years old. So there you go. Yeah. So it makes. And sense I think it's no. I think it's no. Uh, um, you know, unplanned thing that the that the child is fifty years old, which would be about the average age I'd say of your Star Wars, your longtime Star Wars fan. <laughs> Me, I'm Baby Yoda. So you Everyone you think you are Yoda. the target audience, Bill? Yeah. I think Bill's right. Wow, yeah, I, I thought I'd never hear that. Oh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how this has gone down with the younger set, but it seems very much to me like this was a much more mature and adult take on the Star Wars universe. I mean, there's stuff in it kids can watch. Obviously, Baby Yoda seems to have appealed to everybody, and there's the requ- requisite amount of action and adventure. Um, well, well, I've watched some with uh, two two of my kids and. For some reason, they gave uh, Baby Yoda a, a name. Uh, they like to call him Steve. <laughs> so now, when I, you know, now one one is twenty, the other one is eighteen. That that you know, we'll we'll watch it, and he'll come on and say, look at Steve. Hey, Steve. So hopefully that is now stuck in all of your heads next time you watch. Mm, Steve, I am, and it op- it opens up lots of interesting 
avenues for where Star Wars can go on the small screen here, because here we see one of the things that I always liked about Star Wars is it was a plucky band of rebels fighting a corrupt government, but the rest of the galaxy couldn't give a shit. The rest of the galaxy, it does not matter to them who is in charge. They've still got to pay the taxes. They're still being screwed over and they've still got shitty jobs. And that is essentially the universe that the Mandalorian is set in. It doesn't matter to these people whether the Empire in charge or whether the New Republic are in charge. They've all got to do shitty jobs to earn a living. And one of the things I did like about it was somebody equated this. You three would probably be more familiar with this than I am. But somebody equated this to post-Civil War where a lot of soldiers from the, the South who lost, I think that's yep. right, yes. um, were then press-ganged into doing mercenary work or other such jobs to try, and, to try and make some money. And they've said this is what the stormtroopers are in this show. They were Imperial stormtroopers. They now have nowhere to go and nothing to do, and they're just trying to earn some cash. And the stormtroopers in the show were actually really cool, even though most of them were cannon fodder. It was nice to see they were living in these backwater planets just trying to earn a crust. So essentially, the Imperials have become regular Joes. And it doesn't really focus on that a lot. It's only like background dialogue and the occasional mention of what's going on in the wider universe. But as far as the Mandalorian's concerned, he just goes about his business, taking his bounties and going on. We still don't know why he's got a soft spot for the kid, per se. I think it's because of the flashbacks we see of his origin. Yeah, we, was... we do see a number of flashbacks through the show. Go on, carry on. Oh, sorry, I, I actually just stumbled upon something that was talking about uh, Dejarin. But no, yeah, there's there's a series of flashbacks to where he's being, um, there's like an Imperial raid. Well, no, actually, no, I backed that up because it wasn't Imperials uh, because we see later in another flashback, it was... Uh, droids. We, it was droids, yeah. We get to see some of the larger droids uh, opening fire on a village and his parents, you you know, you believe it's his parents throw him in a hole in the ground um, to protect him. And then he's saved by, by a, by a Mandalorian, Um, which is how I guess he becomes, you know, gets, goes into the creed of the Mandos. You know what I find interesting in this is that it's not a lot of time, but I guess it is. People really don't remember the Jedi. It's it's more of you know uh, you know uh, maybe a, a myth or a legend about these folks that have this power. Well, the galaxy is okay. a big place. If you're out on the out, outer rim and you weren't you know you may you may have never even seen a Jedi. Yeah, and the Jedi have been gone for 25, 30 years at this point. Yeah, and I'm set, sure... If it's five years after Jedi. And I'm you know sure the Emperor was... The, Imperial, the Imperials controlled what people were learning. So as far as they're concerned, the Emperor will have pitched it as the Jedi have turned out to be evil. We will never speak of them again. And Vader spent the rest of his time hunting him down and killing them. And now the Empire have gone. It looks like the galaxy is in a bit of a turmoil as everything has to settle down for the new government. Yeah, because um, back in, I mean, I don't know what the current, uh, what we're going to find out, but back in the canon when they were writing the books before the movies kicked back up, there was the Empire broke up into little fiefdoms where moths were creating their own, you know, they mm-hmm. had their own troops, they were paying them, they had their own ships. You know, they were no longer loyal to the Empire and became essentially little warlords. Mm-hmm. Um 
which is, seems to be what this plays into in the penultimate episode of the season with the imp- introduction of Moff Gideon, played by Giancarlo Esposito from Breaking Bad. And he came across as a really cool bad guy. Oh, he was a great bad guy. Mm. I think well, he's, he's, he's up there with Austin Krennic. He was, he was a great bad guy in Breaking Bad as well. Yes, he was. And I'm, I'm anticipating better things from him as we go into the second season of the show. But the show, it had brilliant guest stars from from the get-go. Who, who were your favourite guest stars? Well, there was some that were just surprises, because I was like, wait a minute, I know this person, or I know that voice, and, and I was really surprised to see um, uh, the New Republic guard that was on the sh- on the prison ship, and I'm, I'm looking at this guy going, I know who that is, but I can't, and I know his voice. And I was like, duh, that's Matt Lanter, the... You know, yeah. the the voice of Anakin from the Clone Wars. Yeah, and Wyatt from Timeless. Yes, yes, great show. Face, I'm glad they, glad they finished that up. Yeah, May. That, 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 yes. Yeah, Ming-Na Wen. Ming-Na Wen was in an episode. I was really disappointed that she was only in the one. Well, I'm sure she'll be back. She wasn't uh, taken out, or yeah. we're not sure. Yeah, something happens at the end of her episode that makes it ambiguous what happened to her. So it was nice to see her. <laughs> I um, got a kick out of Bill Burr being in it yes <laughs> See, also, also on breaking bed i have no comedian. idea who bill burr is right so stands up comedian a very politically that, incorrect comedian that was all in the same episode wasn't it because that episode yeah. also had clancy brown in it oh yeah burly recognizable who was basically the kurgan in space in this yes. episode and richard ayoade who I'm sure, I'm I'm pretty sure he's saying most of the American audience won't have got who he was. But Richard Ayoade was Moss in the It Crowd. I've seen him, yes. Uh, he's, a, he's a big deal here. So the fact that they got Richard Ayoade in an episode, all the way through it, I was just looking at him going, is that Richard Ayoade? And we had to look up that, yes, he was the voice of, of whoever he was providing the voice of. Zero. Well, plus, plus, plus the Twi'lek in that episode, the... Um the female, I was like, man, her voice sounds familiar. She looks familiar, but I can't see who she is. And then I looked, I was like, oh, she was on Game of Thrones. She was in mm-hmm. Harry Potter. Got uh, Natalie Gastiantena? Yeah, that's her. Okay. Uh, I mean, obviously, the biggest one was Carl Weathers. He was great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Carl okay, Weathers was fantastic. I'll say yeah, my, he... my favorite was uh, Nick Nolte, though. Yeah, and and what happened? Now that was really sad. No. The way they pull that off in the episode where he gets killed was really. And those two stormtroopers, those biker scouts, they were scummy bastards. Well, they were hitting that baby. Yeah, you know what's funny is when they were doing the target practice. <laughs> yes, and I love the bit where he lifts the the pistol up to his ear and shakes it, and it just sounds like a cam. <laughs> I mean, the, the implication being that stormtroopers actually aren't shit shots, but the material is now substandard. Mm-hmm. But that I was don't... so. That's like that's like the things. This show is bringing to light the things that you do, like the everyday things you don't get to see that maybe you weren't interested in. But you know what? I'm enjoying watching it. You know, just the two the, the two guys are talking like, "Hey, hey, let me see what's in the bag." No, no, you know, you said we can't mm. see it. You want to get shot? What are you crazy? Oh, come on, man. Open it up. Let's take a look at it. What is it? Oh, my God. What is that thing? Ow, it bit me. Now, those were two famous actors. Were they not? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been able to really find who they were. I think they were, uh, but I, I'm having a tough time remembering. 
I believe they they are known, but I'd be damned. I think if one I is Jason that. Sudeikis. Yeah. Oh, okay. But uh, I don't know who the other guys. Oh, are. Oh, Jason Sudeikis and Adam Howie. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, I think Werner Herzog walks away with the prize for me. <laughs> uh, just every single line he had. Let's let's have a libation to toast the end of our narrative. <laughs> it's just a brilliant line of dialogue but everybody everybody who's in this was really good gina carone she's great i love her. yes absolutely fantastic i mean some there was some whining on twitter i know this will surprise you that oh how come we got taken out so quickly i would like to see you go up against gina carone mm-hmm. no i didn't find that a stretch you know there's some things where you say uh, that's a stretch I don't think that was a stretch. No, I think she could have snapped him in half. Uh, well, yeah. What's What's nice about um, oh, what is the Mando's name? Dejarin. Yeah, he only gets given a name in the last episode. He's not perfect. No, he's he's quite shit to be honest with you. The I amount, mean, he's he's very Indiana Jones, isn't he? The amount yes. that he gets his head handed to him, and he mm-hmm. still manages to come through at the end of it. Is I mean, there are so many good examples. I, mean, I think my favourite episode was the second one, which was basically the only people in it were the Mandalorian, the child, uh, the Ugnaught, played by Nick Nolte, and a bunch of Jawas. And the entire episode was just him pursuing this Jawa sandcrawler to get his shit back that they'd ransacked and ripped to pieces. And that was such a fun episode because it was all purely visual. Yeah, and the Jawas kind of hand him his butt the first time. Well, yeah. actually, they, they just do. Yeah, he, might, he gets the shit kicked out of him quite a lot of times. What is it, the mud horn? Yes. That beats the crap out of him as well. Because <laughs> he's trying to get its egg, and the Jawas, when he brings the egg back, they're, they're opening and they're, they're tripping out to the... Wow, yeah. yeah, and a lot of people have obviously mentioned the Lone Wolf and Cub parallels mm-hmm. but when you get to episode four which was the bryce dallas howard episode i'd be damned if that's not the magnificent seven. Oh yeah no question yeah. and so well done let let me bring it up though i learned back in 1977 if there's a bright spot to the center of the galaxy Tatooine yeah. is the planet farthest from indeed where do we wind up once again well, you've just said it. The guy's trying to hide. Exactly. So he's going to go to Tatooine. And I, I loved that episode. I did too. I, I genuinely love seeing all the him going into the same cantina to have somebody sat in the bar where Han Solo was sat with his foot on the table. But everything's changed now. There are robots in there. There are droids in there, whereas they previously weren't allowed to. Right. And there was, just, there was just so many lovely little nods in that episode that weren't like fan service stuff that detracted from the story. They were just there. And that kid, that was the outlaw Josie Wales, where he takes the kid on board who thinks he knows what he's doing and he's actually a bit shit. Mm. That was another great episode where they're riffing on an old, um, on an old Western thing, because the show essentially is a Western. Mm-hmm. And it's so much the better for being a Western. And from from day one, he was being compared to the you know the prototypical Clint Eastwood character. Mm. 
the man with no name who doesn't say a lot and wanders into town and does his own job and has his own code and all that stuff. And now apparently it costs something like $15 million an episode. Wow. Yeah. The the budget on this show was quite extensive. But you know what? I paid, I paid money to get Disney plus and honestly, they're not giving me a lot more than this that I didn't already have. Mm-hmm. At least have available to me. Well, for now, well, some of those other things are going to go away off of other streaming eventually. They're not coming and pulling my, uh, you know, discs out of well, my true, out true, of my video true, collection. Yes. Oh, you think so? Uh, watch what happens <laughs> next time you play them. Yeah, well, yeah, you don't know Disney, do you? <laughs> I can't imagine you have the cat from outer space, which is available. Yeah, that's not much of an issue there. <laughs> I loved seeing all the equipment from the uh, original trilogy, from the mm. the ATST to the Sandcrawler to the Dubaks, the uh, X-wing fighters that came in. Uh, but, but they got the Imperial Troop transport. Which yes, I, I haven't. Yeah, yeah. I still have that toy. I still have that. And it was shown once on, I think, the on it, Rebels. It was either Clone Wars or Rebels. Yeah. And and when I saw that, I was like, "Oh my god, that's so cool!" <laughs> did you did you notice as well the three X wing fighters who they who piloted those? They were like Dave Filoni, yep, um, yeah. and a couple other uh, usually behind the scenes people. Yeah, Rick Famuyiwa. I apologize if I'm saying that wrong. And Deborah Chow were also X wing pilots. Which was nice to see, and it's nice to see Dave Filoni being given some live action love, because he's been he's been handling the Rebels and and the Clone Wars for a while. So to give him a live action show was quite nice. That was pretty cold blooded with what what happened with that. I mean, so those, all right. So what 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 happened was Matt Lanter his his character was killed, and uh, he had a- activated like a failsafe thing that calls in a New Republic strike team. They just came in and blasted anybody who didn't ask any questions. Yeah, they just like, came in and shot everything. It didn't care who was there. They just blew up the whole station because um, the Mando leaves the leaves the tracker for the strike team on uh, where he had um, gone back a- after uh, he had they had freed the uh, the other guy from from the prison ship, and they just smoked that whole like I'm like everybody on that thing died. Hmm. Like, was there no innocent people on that thing? They were all prisoners, yeah. so no. Wow. <laughs> the New Republic are hardliners, dude. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of doesn't really draw like, oh, the New Republic is, you know, good and everything. They're just as cold-blooded as the Empire here. Yeah, well, that that's something that has, has always played into the Star Wars stuff, isn't it? That, mm-hmm. Like, regular people, it doesn't matter to us, the government's the government. They'll shit on us from a great height, whoever they are. Yeah. Um, it was nice that, uh, you know, talking about Westerns and the Magnificent Seven episode, uh, what was that? That was number four, Sanctuary. Where, yeah. Um, you know, he's given a choice to where he could set down roots. He could give up the life. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't, you know, he, you know, he, he, he could have tried to have stayed there. But, well, at the end, he finds out that, you know, the child is being tracked by the guild still. So he probably wouldn't have had any peace in the long term. 
No, because uh, one of the reason that he leaves is somebody takes a pot shot at the child. Yeah, and uh, Gina saves him at, yeah. his, at the last second. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping she's going to hang around a lot more next year because uh, I, I think they made a pretty good team. I yeah, agree. the whole the whole Mandos. It's like you know, there's there's a lot of them, and they just stay hidden. Like they don't show their numbers. They're just you know they're they're, they're mm. hiding under, underneath the city. It was neat with the uh, with the with the with the with the Besker armor. Those little, mm. you know, she's um, he goes to a person called the Armorer, and she melts him down and makes the different pieces of his armor, which you know out, outfits him better, gives him weapons and everything. It's kind of like where you where you level up in a video game. It's like okay, I need better stuff now, so I need to go to this person after I accomplish this, this, and this. Did you notice that there was a stormtrooper that fell in that forge and was basically completely poof, destroyed? Yes. I was like, ow! Oh, and what about the R2 droid that was the, like... Yeah, the one that had legs. Yeah, he just stands up and <laughs> breaks out of the rock and he's got arms and legs and he's a fairy man going across yeah. the lava. Yeah, like, well, across the river Styx. Yes. Another like... Lone Wolf and Cub parallel. Oh, did not know that. Yeah, in the in Lone Wolf and Cub, they have to cross the river the river Styx, mm. which was the is that the ancient path to yeah. the, the river to hell or something? Yeah, yeah from yeah, uh, Dante's Inferno. Yeah, Sharon the Ferryman, right? Something like yeah. that. Yeah, yes. that was uh, that was that straight from Lone Wolf and Cub. And as Krista Bird said, "Don't pay the ferryman. Don't even fix a price." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, everyone else seemed to lose their shit over the fact that uh, Gideon had a dark saber. I obviously am not oh, yeah. my Star Wars lore because I did not know what that was. That's like the Mando version of a lightsaber, and it was like right. a, it's that was in Clone Wars towards the end, I believe. So it's is also, it nothing to do with the novel Dark Saber that Kevin Anderson wrote? No, that's what I, I that, that was a weapon. A weapon. That was a platform, like, isn't it? The dark right. saber. Yeah, that was like a big wet. Uh, yeah, dark. This is a different dark saber. Right. It was like. I'm, yeah. I'm glad they've got all this continuity sorted out. Yeah, but it it's just asks more questions, you know. Because mm. there was apparently there was lots of little stuff like that th- scattered throughout the series. Like he uses a gun that we'd only ever seen before in the Star Wars Holiday Special, in mm. the Boba Fett cartoon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have the little pronged... Man, that thing is pretty... It's taking some people out with that thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like Chewie's bowcaster, isn't it? And the other thing I like, to, to go back to what Dave said earlier on, he's having to constantly upgrade and fix his armor. Mm-hmm. There's no... What's his name? It doesn't automatically repair itself. You you regularly see him have to tidy it up, knock the dents out, and he has to take it back to... Um, I can't remember her name. The woman who does all their armors for... I think they just called her the armorer. Is right. Yeah. Is what her title is. That's why I can't remember her name. She's <laughs> regularly having to go back to, and he gets a he gets a severe upgrade at the end of the last episode. Oh yeah, he gets the jetpack, mm-hmm. which a little wiggly niggly. You know, she says, "Oh, you have to train with this," uh, and he puts it on at first, and it's a little bit shaky. But then he gets the hand of it because he takes on a freaking tie fighter. Yeah, in the <laughs> air. Yeah, although it was cool though. Yeah. That, and that TIE fighter, the, oh, the, the Gideon Moffis flight, oh, yeah. really it's, it's a little modified with the way it yeah. lands. Right, yeah. we've never seen that before, right? No, usually they just land straight down, poof, right on the right on the wings. This one folded up, 
which it makes you wonder, like, how do they get out of that if there's no like if you just land on a planet, how would you get out of your TIE fighter if you're like 20 feet up in the air? Are you going to jump to the ground or is it like a ladder drop out? But being he, you know, he can afford the 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 high end model TIE fighter. So the wings fold up and it drops the ball to the ground and you just step right out. And and it's got rims. Yes. Well, pres- presumably. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. Yes. Well, one of us would. Presumably, with the Empire in disarray, all these lovely, wonderful toys that the Empire have are just there for the taking if you know where they all are. I do have to say the music in this is good. I really like, like, like yes. the main theme. I love the score because it's for the first time they have decided to step away from the traditional John Williams score. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of like, is this going to work? Because that sound is indelibly linked to Star Wars. And it worked fantastic. I mean, occasionally the theme sounds like it's going to launch into Rocky. Well, it, like, it, it reminds more of the Spaghetti Westerns. Yeah, but there's a bit in the middle that does sound like... And you think... But yeah, the end... Sorry. Yeah, each episode has had a little mini score released. Oh. Which is pretty cool. Um, every end credits. I love those little paintings that oh, run yeah. under the end credits. And some of them are animated too, if you watch <laughs> yeah. closely. Yeah, they were they were gorgeous. It's like every every aspect of the show was fantastic. Did they, like like did they take some of the the original storyboards they had and colorize them and stuck them in there? Yeah, they they do look like Ralph McQuarrie production paintings, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, that they would be some nice brilliant. nice artwork to have. Mm, I'm framed and mounted. I'm sure the I'm sure Disney are all over the merchandising potential for well, this show. It's funny you mention that because there's you know a lot of people have criticized that. Oh my God, they dropped the ball because even my kids, you know, you know, my son's 18. He's like, oh, we gotta get a Baby Yoda. I was like, well, they don't have any. He's like, yeah, but oh, ooh. and they're they're not available until like March, April, May, maybe, and. Mm. One of the reasons that that I've heard, I've not done extensive research, um, but said that they didn't. John Favreau didn't want to spoil the reveal of Baby Yoda because a lot of times when toys are done in advance, that's how I got spoiled. That Count Dooku, spoiler alert, that Count Dooku was Darth Tyrannus because the toy was in freaking. Before I saw the movie, it said Count Dooku, Darth Tyrannus lightsaber. I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Would been nice to know, you know, be, well, would have liked to have learned that in the theater. <laughs> well, it's everybody's favorite example of uh, of spoilers on the merchandise is the release of the Phantom Menace soundtrack, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Before the film came out, the soundtrack comes out with a track called Qui Gon's Noble End, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, Jesus, George, <laughs> do you not have quality control? Could you not have named that track something else? <laughs> But I'm sure that there will be Mandalorian action figures and Baby Yodas. There's already Baby Yoda cups, I've noticed. They're already out. Well, there's like knockoff things on Etsy and stuff like that. People are raking in the money. They are all over Disney. Right. Because the kids just came back and she sent me tons of pictures of the uh, stores in downtown Disney. All Baby Yoda. Right. So So I was able to pick up for Christmas... uh, um, I stumbled across the his ship, the Razor's Crest, 
mm-hmm. um, in like the little Hot Wheels, um, you know, little little models. You know, it's 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 like the size of you know, like like a car. Uh, I got a I got a ton of those, so I got that, and I got the ATST that the Raiders use, um, you know, with the red with the red interior and stuff. So I, I was able to pick that up and give that to Ben for Christmas. Hmm. <clears throat> Myself, I mean, uh, for Ben, yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm sure you bought it for Ben. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'll yeah. all be his eventually someday anyway. So <laughs> That's a very bleak way of looking at it, dude. That's realistic. <laughs> it'll be part of the estate is what you're saying. Oh, yeah, don't go there. But um, <laughs> Behind a curtain. All right, so let's, I mean, with the caveat that as of this recording, Dave hasn't actually seen The Rise of Skywalker. Is this the best thing that Disney have done since they bought Star Wars? Yes. Yeah, I would I would have to agree with you as well. Yes, I, I do as well. I think it's it's easily what I want to see more from what they they are going to do with Star Wars. I'm gonna, I'm going to vary off that slightly, only to say this is a uh, you know even though it, most of the episodes are individually contained to an extent, uh, you know it's a long form narrative. It's a different animal from what we're getting in the movies so i kind of want to see both i want to see movies i also want to see you know stories that deserve a long form to have that uh you know i don't know if i'm not captured quite as much by the movies because i'm not a teenager anymore or if it's you know that they're just not up to the level i'm not sure which it is you know, I'm thinking, you know, a, a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old or a twelve-year-old or a fifteen-year-old who is seeing these things for the first time is probably going to be much, much more enthusiastic about the movies than we are. Mm-hmm. See, I don't, I, I don't know. Obviously, my personal thinking is the movies have all been about wrapping yourself in the blanket of nostalgia, with the exception of the Last Jedi. Um, whereas this is, it has a couple of little nods to the audience, particularly the Tatooine episode. But for the most part, this has been a completely different story, not following any of the plot lines set up by the film. It hasn't had any of the characters in the films in it, really. And it's been absolutely fantastic. I don't maybe... disagree with that. I think it's the best thing they've done. But my, my point isn't oh, you know, this this isn't as good as that or that those things are at the same level as this. My point is I'd like to see both and I'd like to see both well done. I don't want I don't want them to give up on movies in favor of ongoing series. I'd like them to kind of do both, but I'd li- like I said I just need a level of quality to both. Well, I think as well you're in the position now at the minute where there are no Star Wars movies have been announced. Everything and I, I think that's well calculated on their part, and I think they need yes. to do that. They need to give it a little bit of breathing space uh, to to let the audience kind of reset and be ready for more and be anxious for more. And see what they're doing with it. But but again, you've got the, the problem that we've got at the moment with the so much quality television, so how much money is speed spent on these television shows is what is the impetus to go to the cinema? Well, there's, there's always an element of what's the impetus to go to the cinema when you have uh, movies released for home video within months of when they're in the movies, and you have home theater systems that present it in an almost a theatrical way. Mm. 
you know so mm-hmm. that, that's always been the question so you have to get you have to create a buzz you know it, the the movie release schedule is very very different than it was or the the business model i think is very very different than it used to be mm-hmm. because of the availability of home video and the quick turnaround on these things and i assume the quick turnaround is based upon their research that they make more money in the long run by doing it that way and also disney did something quite smart with this in that they didn't drop it all over one weekend, which is the Netflix model. And what they've done with that is they've actually created a narrative of people watching it and talking about it week on, week on, which has actually created more of a buzz for it. Yeah, well, well, it's the CBS model. And it'll make people keep the streaming service longer instead of like, oh, they dropped it, I watched it, I'm out. Well, they've, um, they've announced just today, haven't they, when the Clone Wars season seven of the Clone Wars has been released. Mm. So they they want to obviously keep you around, which does beg the interesting question. Um, they did release some research that said a lot of people had ditched Netflix to get Disney Plus. Now that Disney Plus's big show, big launch show, The Mandalorian, has finished, do you think people will cancel Disney Plus? Oh, yeah. And go back to Netflix for a bit, and then come back to Disney Plus the next time a big show launches. I think I think younger people, because eh, I'm old, I think that that's what they're they're going to do. Like, oh, I'm going to jump over here for now this month. Watch what I need to watch. Oh, I'm, I'm going to jump over here, and I may start doing that because I mean, right now I have Hulu, Disney. Uh, well, I have Hulu, Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, and I'm seriously thinking of dropping net, uh, net, Netflix. Um, and then p- picking up Disney because I guess there's a there's a Disney uh, Hulu package and there's, there's all, all different kinds of things. Hmm. Yeah, well, we we uh, I, I think it's imperative that Disney announce the next release, you know, original release that's going to pull in an audience or keep an audience to keep people from doing what you say. Well, they need to, like, you know, as soon as, okay, we did eight weeks of The Mandalorian, they need to have something else right after it or within a, a few weeks to keep people from dropping off. Yeah, I, th- you know, I think I- it, would be, it would be wise if they have it ready to go with one of the new Marvel series that they've announced. Yeah, yeah right. because you're probably going to attract the same crowd. Well, that, that's, a, that's another question I wanted to ask you guys as the guys with your feet on the ground with the Disney Plus. Do you think season seven of The Clone Wars is the same kind of draw that this is? No. 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 I mean, for I'm, me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's not, not the for, average for person. Us. I don't think it has the mass audience appeal no. that Mandalorian did. And I don't think it's going to have the, uh, you know, the, the buzz word of mouth that mandalorian did so i don't think i I think you have to be a little bit more hardcore and and it it presupposes that you've watched the first six seasons yeah there's that as well yeah that's that's what i was thinking clone wars is specifically being targeted at the people that love the clone wars and were bitter that disney cancelled it but i don't think it's going to have that big crossover appeal that the mandalorian is and they've already announced mandalorian season two for autumn of 2020 i almost said next year but it's this year now so that's coming up soon. Have they announced any release dates for the Marvel stuff? No, not that I've heard. You're right. Well, there's the, what, supposed Kenobi series? Yeah, that only starts filming in January. Oh, okay. So there's no actual release date on that yet. Now, I think some people have extrapolated when The Mandalorian was filmed to when it was released and made a guess as to when Obi-Wan may be available. 
but I, I, I've not read anything yet. I would imagine that'll be autumn this year as well, or maybe early next year. So I guess the question is, like, is Disney going to go crazy? And uh, this is going to be somewhat of a joke. Um, you know, are we going to get different genre type Star Wars shows like Jedi Law or whatever? <laughs> 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 yeah, see, the thing with that is you're joking about that, but they have already announced the Jar Jar Binks hosted quiz show. Oh, well, well, yeah. Or, or like, you know, you do you do you do you remember the fan film from years ago called Troops? Yes. Like, yeah. what if they did a you know Imperial theme show, like yeah. showing things from the Imperial side? Or, you know, there's so many things they could do, but it's. Is it going to be cost effective and are they going to be able to keep that returning revenue mm-hmm. and or are they looking like on the merch? Like, um, you know, they're going to rake out, you know, they're going to make some big bucks once once they get all the all the baby Yoda stuff out. Yeah. I also wonder as well how much of the merchandise is tied into the Disney Plus eventual worldwide release. Hmm. And how much of it they're thinking, well, if we can get it all out at the same time that it launches <laughs> everywhere, there's a massive amount of money that we can we can make from that if the merchandise is all available at the same time. Because the Dis- Disney aren't stupid. Disney know what they're doing with all this stuff. I don't see why they didn't drop this across the whole world at the same time. I, well, I've queried that as well, Dave, to be honest with you, because even the excuse that they've given, that they have a lot of exclusive deals with Sky Movies for films that they've got let out. Well, sure, fine. It just would mean release it at a reduced service because surely they own The Mandalorian outright. They have to, right? Yeah, so you'd think if they'd launched that worldwide at the same time, at the very least, The Mandalorian is out there everywhere because it has become the most downloaded show in the world since Game of Thrones went off the air. And it's like, did they really not see that that was going to happen? So, I don't know. They, they have their reasons. They know what they're doing. I'm sure their marketing people are all over it. Because also, it does beg the questions when it does launch everywhere else, is The Mandalorian going to be dumped out like Netflix does? Or are they going to release it weekly elsewhere? There's oh, all these questions that we still don't know the answer to. Hmm. So, we won't know that until, you know, until it rolls out. So, we'll see. And ultimately, some of these streaming services are going to have to fail. I don't see how they can't fail. Yeah, well, you can't, you can't, ha- you can't buy every one of them. Well, I've said for a long time that I think eventually they're going to have to pick up the business model of, you know, the the business model that cable TV has had for years, where you have one centralized bill, and then you have the different stations that you have, and I think mm-hmm. eventually you got to go to that with streaming, where you're going to have one person. Well, one, uh, one person, one, one, one body, one provider that's going to wrangle all the different services that you get so that you're still getting one bill a month. Yeah. Well, it's, all of that's interesting, but it's not really anything to do with the show that we heartily recommend everybody watch if they haven't already, like me. When it comes out, did we? Do you have a favorite one? Do you have a favorite episode, or was it all just one big series? Hmm. I, I think the Magnificent Seven episode was my favorite. Hmm. I just got a kick out of all the little nods to the Magnificent Seven in that one. 
Well, the, either that or the prison episode. The prison one was my favorite. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the one where he's after the Jawas. That was basically just him chasing after the Jawa Sandcrawler. I, I thought that one was really fun. It's just from the, the, yeah, the visual storytelling aspect of it. It's yeah, on yeah. top of it, and they blast the crap out of him. Yes. <laughs> the, the, the two two incidents, scenes, whatever, that for me mirrored you know other movies was the Sandcrawler chase was Indiana Jones and the yes! Last Crusade. It, it very time. definitely was Indy Jones, yeah. And the uh, last episode where IG-11 gives up his life, Terminator 2. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, even actually in the uh, in the lava. Yep. Yep. All right. Okay, okay. Good, good, good. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for joining me on the Palace of Glittering Delights. The first time for some of you. Yeah, thank you. It's all right. Blame Bill. It was his idea. <laughs> Bill hijacked the show. Bill hijacked the show, which is fine. I don't I'm, a two, I'm a two-time a uh, star on uh, guest star on the Palace of Glittering Delights. As am I. No, you're you're four now. What on Palace? Yeah, the two-part Quantum Leaper. Oh, I forgot the, about that. The Dreams one, and now this one. Oh, oh, did you? Oh, were you not with us for Odd Tracks? No, you weren't, were you? That was me, Paul, and Sean. Gotcha. Yeah, I think well, that was I think that was my show. only other palace appearance. That was just well, welcome, Dave. Check Thank out you. the decor. I spent a lot of money on this shit. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> the green room is magnificent. Okie dokie. Right. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Where can everybody find you guys on the internet? You can find me on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, just uh, really quick, uh, on the Two True Freaks Network, Back to the Bins, Is It Yours, and Listen to the Prophets with this Motley crew. Mm-hmm. And that's the same for Bill and Dave, isn't it? Pretty, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. yes. Okay, okay. All right, I'll be back in a minute with some email section, and I'll uh, I'll see you guys the next time we do a Listen to the Prophets. All right. All good. Okay, bye-bye.
Oh, that's better. A bit more room now that they've all buggered off. It's not that the palace isn't massive and large and gargantuan, other words that mean big, and surrounded by a magnificent moat and guards, all wear red shirts, obviously, guarding my very presence, for I am of great import to the British government. I don't think I've mentioned that before. But now that they've gone, I can stretch my legs out and scratch my balls and fart a bit. You know, you always kind of feel like you should be on your best behaviour when you've got visitors. I mean, even if it's those three reprobates. Anyway, let's have a look at some um, some email, should we? Our first email tonight is from Dan Doherty. Doherty. I always get that wrong. I'm so sorry, Dan. And you've told me how to pronounce it. See, over here, that's Doherty. And if there's a C in it, it's Doherty. So... <laughs> different pronunciations for different parts of the world, I suppose. Give me those Star Wars. Uh, oh, no, that's another show. Never mind. That is another show. That's Give Me Those Star Wars, hosted by Ryan Daly over on the uh, Fire and Water podcast network. Good show, that. I like that. Hello, Andy. Hello, Dan. I just finished to... Um, let me say that again in English. I just finished listening to your latest episode on issues 7 through 10 of the original Marvel Star Wars comic. It's fascinating that despite the various restrictions placed upon them by Lucasfilm, Marvel managed to keep Star Wars going for almost nine years, and 107 issues plus annuals and other specials, whilst Marvel's Star Trek comics folded after just one year as a direct result of similar restrictions placed on that comic. Which is weird when you think about it, isn't it? Because you'd think that with Star Trek, they would just say, right, fine, we'll just we'll just go and boldly go. We'll make up new planets, new situations, new characters, new stories. And Star Trek seems to me to be far more wide open to tell new stories, even if you're restricted from using previous characters. If you look at the original show, and even the next generation to a certain extent, they didn't really go backwards that much. The number of times people recurred on the original show was there was Harry Mudd, and I think wasn't that it? Wasn't that the only recurring character on Star Trek? I mean, they wanted to bring back Koloff from Errand of Mercy, but John Kolikos wasn't available, so they ended up casting another Klingon. And I think they wanted to then bring back Koloff, who they'd replaced with Kor. Who'd replaced Core, sorry. And then he wasn't available, so they created Kang. So they ended up with three different Klingons instead of just using the one. And of course, that came in useful when they did Deep Space Nine later on. And even the next generation, you know, Q came back a couple of times, the Borg came back a couple of times, but by and large, they referred. It was new stories, it was new adventures every week. So you'd think Star Trek would be more open to that, especially seen as with Star Wars, a lot of the restrictions were in between Empire and Jedi, and that's where all the character development happens. But anyway, I wish I had more to say about the issues you just covered. I thought they were all right. It's all right. There's an old chestnut. Well, so I appreciate Roy Thomas's efforts. I always felt Marvel Star Wars didn't find its footing until Archie Goodwin came on board. Not surprising, considering how much I love his runs on both the Marvel comic and the daily newspaper strip he did with Al Williamson. Now, there's an idea for a potential episode of The Palace. I have thought about that. I have also thought about the Spider-Man newspaper strip by Stanley and John Romita. Now, I have my little book with lots of little notes, and, and sometimes I will refer to the book of notes and go, oh, yeah, that'll be interesting. And sometimes inspiration just hits me, which is the next episode. No, the next episode is more Spider-Man. The episode after that, which is what I'm currently writing, is one of those inspiration just hits me. At one point, I did have these issues, but after I got the omnibuses, 
from Dubai, I sold off most of my original Marvel Star Wars run, with the exception of issues 1 through 6, 39 through 44, and Return of the Jedi 1 through 4, and a number of other Treasure Editions, Super Specials, Pocket Boots, and other notable reprints of the movie adaptations. Until next, and in case I don't write again until after the holidays, have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, Dan Doherty. Thank you, Dan. We had a great Christmas. Well, the week before Christmas was a bit rough, but Christmas itself was fine. Um, yeah, I, well, I don't have any original Star Wars issues. I read the reprints. I read the British reprints in Star Wars Weekly. I, I do have the Treasury Edition reprints of Star Wars. I also have the three little Marvel pocketbooks. Star Wars is in black and white. Empire and Jedi, the panels are all cut up, so there's only one or two panels per page. And I believe I have the Marvel Super Specials for Empire and Jedi, but I think my Empire one, I think the cover's come off. I think that's not in terribly good shape, to be honest with you. I also have the hardback British annuals that have Empire and Jedi in the Star Wars ones cut to pieces. So that's not really worth having unless you're a, a big old collector in many ways. But thank you for emailing it. Dan, it's always nice to hear from you. Uh, our next email and final email for tonight, Superman 4, the quest for coherence is from Luke Giaconetti. Hey Luke, hey Andy. When I saw your post about you and noted Superman apologist Mike Bailey doing a commentary for Superman 4, I was very excited. When I read the post more closely and saw that you were going to be watching a fan-assembled coherence cut, I was intrigued. I knew about all of the deleted scenes and edits made to the quest for peace, but was unaware of this particular cut. As a little background, I have a lot of fond memories of Superman 4. I saw the film in the theatre when I was seven with my brother, three cousins, and my aunt whilst on vacation in Florida. Looking back at it now, my Aunt Lynn was a saint, but that's neither here nor there. I believe I had seen Superman the movie, as I knew my dad had a big box VHS release. But seeing Superman and Nuclear Man duke it out on the big screen was a delight, and being seven, none of the goofy or shoddy aspects of the film were apparent to me. Being born in 1980, the late stages of the Cold War were my childhood. Superman 4 fell right in line with other films I enjoyed from the era, such as Godzilla 1985 or Rocky IV in the depiction of fantastical situations amidst the threat of nuclear war. Given that, I always have a soft spot for the film, even though rewatches as I got older made all the faults plainly evident. I'd read the comic book adaptation about ten years ago, and I have to echo you and Mike's comments that it writes a lot of checks the Golden Globers couldn't cash. Man, I would have loved to have somehow had that comic when I was seven. I probably would have fallen hard into the Superman comics a lot earlier if I had. I need to track down a physical copy of that at some point. Around the same time, I first read the adaptation of Superman 3. Back in the days of hallowed antiquity on Hey Kids Comics, I gave you a lot of grief for hyping me up to rewatch Superman 3 and agree to disagree, but eesh, that movie sets my teeth on edge. I happily picked up the adaptation as the cheapy bin, though, and again, the story works much better on the printed page. It has been more than a decade since I watched The Quest for Peace, and I've added the coherence cut to my ever-growing to-watch list. Hopefully I'll get a chance very soon to sit down with an extended version of a film which has been kicking around in my brain for more than 30 years, all because it happened to be in the theatre and appropriate for a group of kids ranging from 7 to 12 one summer in South Florida. Keep making them, and I'll keep listening them to them. Sorry, with six you get an egg roll, etc, etc. Luke, P.S. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you very much, Luke. Yeah, Superman 4, you know, it's not good. Let's be brutally honest. But there is a, a certain element of fun to be had whilst watching it that may or may not be present in more recent Superman movies. Anyway, that's it. We'll knock it on the head there. I think that's long enough for this time. We're just cracking exactly an hour. 
which is always a good length for a show, I think. I'll be back next time. If you want to email me, akkidscomics at virginmedia.com is the email address. Next time, I'm going back to Spider-Man to look at the next six issues of Amazing Spider-Man by Stan Lee, John Romita, Jim Mooney, and John Buscema. And then the week after that, I say week, you'll be lucky if you get these weekly. Uh, after that, I'll be looking at the 1940s Republic serial King of the Rocket Men. Take care and everything is going to be okay. Goodbye.